0: it's late don't worry seven o'clock we're gonna do it grab your bim beer your cheeky wine whatever it is gin and tonic get the slimline out let's go for it we're gonna be teleported i'll give you a clear where in a bit too use your imagination have a think about that title I've got some awesome guests. All will be revealed in 16 seconds. Not long now. 15. I know you're excited. So am I. So am I. Right, okay. Get everything ready. Right, bells ready. Check. Soundboard ready. Three, two, one. Hello everyone and thank you for joining us this evening. We've got a packed stage here with industry experts and I will attempt to do my best at a proper introduction, but it's seven o'clock, it's after work. We're not on the clock, so you can chill out and grab a wine or you can have a sneaky little you know, something something in here. (laughs) So cheers to everyone who's finished for the day. And this is an episode of, let me bring it (laughs) out. Here we go. I am an underpaid and overworked architect. Get me out of here. So there was a theme there, guys, right? There was a theme. There was a theme where this came around. So Julia is the brains of this meeting tonight. However, there is an agenda. We are going to talk about architecture. We are going to talk about the state of the architecture industry, but also talk about our journey as well. So for anyone that's not familiar and is wondering what this Welsh, I can't even speak, rambling maniac is talking about on his live stream, is that I actually came from architecture. I'm still involved in architecture, but working in a role that is not conventional. I didn't get my part free. And I've got a really talented ascent of people from all around the industry so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna quickly say everyone's names and then it'll be awesome before we all get too blotted if we can do an introduction and then we can just take it from there so i'm Stephen drew enough about me we will move on here so i am joined by julia adler who is senior design manager at mace barrett um Pank Hanyam, senior design manager at Lang Rock. Wow, we are all over the place here. We're in you know, all these different companies. Giorgio Laporta, who is BIM manager at Mace. Giorgio, I was trained in uh, Revit in 2014, just saying, if you ever need a pair of hands. And last but not least, the fantastic Michael Hudson, who is digital building expert. Very interesting. At Turner Townsend. So, everyone, welcome to the the stage. First of all, just a virtual (coughs) round of applause. It's a lot of introductions. So, maybe in your own words, we can go around kind of clockwise here. So, Barrett, you're next on the screen to me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself then? Um, Do I have to? Yeah. Yeah. Go on, (laughs) short and sweet. It'll be all right.
1: Um, Yeah. So, um, uh, design manager now. Um, at Rock, um left Mace, well I was previously an architectural manager at Mace two weeks ago so um, yeah, being into this by Julia um, and yeah <laughs> um, and worked in um, architectural practices for a fair bit before that as well so I've been around the block a little bit and yeah, here I am.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I moved away from my chairs. We'll have a elephant ride. So thank you. Right. <laughs> Just imagine we're in the jungle. Yeah. My, my, Michael, you're next on this on the stage here. Yeah? Do you want to tell us about Thanks, all dude. the things um, digital?
2: Uh, I mean, on the nights nice, the nights nice young. Um yeah, so I'm 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 still an architect somehow. Um, I said it, I said um, on the warm up that it's it's a bit like being an alcoholic. You you can you can never stop being an architect, really. Um, but um, the uh, I qualified uh, ten years ago plus more than that. Um, but ended up moving into kind of digital BIM, all that kind of stuff. Um, now I find myself at Turner and Townsend, which everyone on the call and 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 listening might actually think of as a as a project management company, but actually mm-hmm. they have something in the order of about 150 people who specialize in digital consultancy, um, which is a very broad spectrum, um, but includes lots of things um, around BIM and lots of other things like that. So it's actually a really interesting space that I find myself working now. Um, it does require me to think like an architect. I just don't do any drawings, which is, I'm not very good at drawing. So that's good. Well,
3: that's the best part about being uh, an architect, uh, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah
0: brilliant uh, enough about me <laughs> no that's perfect that's excellent oh. so we go we'll have a cheeky crocodile noise well that was rubbish let's that get was... some bats or something There we go now Georgia, apart from oh, being man. appalled by my awful photoshop skills on this thumbnail sorry yeah, guys it's that, been a while was, since i've been architecture yeah, yeah. Oh, come on come on right okay, we'll, but
4: was, it was okay
0: well yeah well <laughs> tell me but so what are
4: you what are you up to then at the <laughs> moment Georgia? tell us about yourself So many exciting things. Now, yeah, BIM manager at Maze, to be fair, I'm quite new. Maze has joined like about six months ago, Um, but I've always been in the architectural industry before that. So I worked worked as an architectural designer for about four, four and a half years, and then moved into, fully moved into BIM the past like three years. And yeah, I mean, like that's definitely a path I'm going for now. Yeah, now I'm doing my new experience at Maze, which is great and yeah that's pretty much it brilliant well i might pick your brains on some photoshop
0: lessons and bim lessons <laughs> please, later. please do please do I, I need i need them i'm out of date i'm out yeah, of date and fun. i was a disaster when yeah. i was on um rabbit from ages ago but enough about that and we've got the fantastic yulia who is basically like the pillar of this um whole live stream so thank you yulia, in particular for setting it up but Enough about that, even though I am grateful. Tell us all about yourself then.
3: Well, Stephen, thank you for having me here. Uh, yes, it was my idea to pull so many people in. Uh, Photoshop, not my idea, just to, you know, state that straight away. Sure. <laughs> uh, so, I'm yes, I work as a senior B-manager at Mace. Uh, maybe... Uh, mm, worth mentioning that Mace is a construction company but we have a, also a department of uh, consultancy. So that's where we are based together with Giorgio. Um, before that, I was working as well in architecture background and I worked in Denmark before moving to UK. So that's mm-hmm. where I studied as well. So I have a little bit of perspective of, you know, uh, how UK um, architecture practices compared to uh, Scandinavia right so yeah that's that's my background
0: excellent thank you and so there was like when we were setting this up for tonight right i know i kind of went off tangent on the whole get i'm a celebrity get me out of your theme but there was a point (laughs) in it right because we're all sort of here maybe like a band of entrepreneurs or a band of degenerates whatever way you want to look at it but we've all kind of gone away from mainstream architecture and so I think that typically when you study architecture, right? when I went into it, it's to become a fully qualified architect. But as you touched upon as well, Julian, in terms of preparing for what we wanna talk about today, I think the state of architecture is not really what I envisioned when I studied it. And there's a lot of good skills there, which I love. But basically, along that journey at some point, I didn't get qualified as a part three architect. And I went off into a recruitment, uh, recruitment career. Because basically guys, I used to be the cheeky chap in the office. Any excuse not to do Revit, Georgia. I would have driven you mad with all my files and stuff. Take the bins out. I would do it. Anything to talk. There was a director. I'd catch him in the kitchen and go, Richard, how's your kids? Talk 10 minutes. Anything to get out of doing the actual work. <laughs> Being honest with you, right? Um... But I, I, it's not really in my head what I signed up for. Although there were some things about it I enjoyed. I tended to go into a career that I felt was more in line with my skills, which is chatting, right? So I would love to know a little bit about your thoughts on, first of all, because you've made that transition. There's a lot of architects that have maybe thought about it, you know, and we can go later on, as Michael, you talked about, is the grass always greener? And we'll unpick that later. But we do see people who are interested in this topic. So maybe, Julia, I can pick on you a bit because I know you a little bit more. You can tell us about why you moved away from um, the traditional route of architecture. And maybe you can tell us a lot about your thoughts on the architecture industry as it is.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So I'm not an architect originally. Uh, I studied architecture technology and construction mm. management in Denmark. So because in Denmark, it's like split into two different disciplines. So you have architects that deliver up to planning and then project gets handed over to people like me that do all the technical bits and, you know, uh, through stage. If we talk REBA terms, that would be stage four or five until, you know, the handover. So all the technical boring drawings, that's me, really. And architects, they are treated like artists. So they would do like a blob and they give it to me and say, just build it. You know, clients really like it. looks pretty. They buy, client buys the picture, not the technical drawings, right? So that's what I would be doing. You know, all the technical bits, calculations, all that kind of stuff. And as part of that, we've been trained to do BIM right, right straight from the uni. And that was like, I don't know. It's embarrassing to say, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, so that was back then. And um, I got invited to work here for uh, local practice. I was like, okay, let's try it. I was still at uni. I joined the practice here in UK. And straight away I realized, oh my God, it's nothing like it. <laughs> in terms of the split. So here in UK, I've been asked to do planning drawings and like concept drawings, uh, which I was never trying to do. I was like, okay, I can try it. Uh, and then architects, poor poor souls were drawing ceiling drawings and like all the technical stuff. And I was like, why are you doing it? We can swap, we should swap. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, somehow I got dragged into BIM just because I was quicker than others. I guess at Revit and you know uh, understand standards a little bit more than others because <clears throat> in Denmark, they have this very specific Uh, technical standards or how to uh, store name and everything like that it's sort of like uh, BIM level 2 or ISO standards but Danish version and 10 years ago and this actually really helps because when you start to work you don't really need to ask your line manager anything you know where everything's safe because everything's the same everything should be named the same Um, yeah so working here i yeah it, it just naturally happened that i got dragged into bim and now i'm here you know there you sort go. of like alcoholism as well i guess You can't really wow
0: you know. <laughs> well, that is that that is some comparison <laughs> going into BIM, <laughs> it's like being an alcoholic I mean, there you go there,
2: there is i mean I, I, I did mention to you guys that i've deleted my twitter account but um uh, at least i think i had um the there was lots of these kind of there was the, the uk bim crew which was like a, ha- a handle that basically was do you want to meet up for a drink and yeah. you know, mm, and yeah. you know bim beers and all this kind of stuff and it became a kind of a little clique in its own right which was great yeah. and actually a lot of the guys on there are fantastic I, I, you know happily go for them a beer any anytime they, they sent me a message please send me a message guys um and um but you know it, at the same time I think it also became a little bit too cliquey in some respects and it became Mm. quite difficult for um, anyone who didn't want to become like a full bimmer to find out something. It was like, it kind of became a slightly cottage industry UK, very focused. We're our little team of, 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 of people. Um, I think younger people like Yulia and Giorgio are kind of thankfully breaking down those barriers because there's a lot of people kind of my age, who are like really, really kind of entrenched in, in really specific kind of ways of doing things now. Mm. And in some respects it makes it harder for anyone thinking about going into this specialism to really do it because it's like, it's almost kind of really confusing. Um, mm. and, and, and actually lose it in, in my now role that I do, I get a lot of feedback from kind of clients saying, you're just talking in acrony- acronyms. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what does that make you look clever? Because I don't know. Like, it really... Yeah, uh, it's I, so true. I got a master's degree at, K, uh, at Oxford. Uh, you know, I finished with it first in my class and I have no clue what you're talking about. And, um, and, and But that's thinking, the, yeah, the
3: expertise. Expert can expert explain this,
2: this
3: complicated thing in 10 minutes, right? So, yeah.
2: yeah. No, you're right. And uh, so I think there's... That's that's kind of the the field of play that BIM BIM has found itself in for like the last decade, where mm. it's just shifting now, and I think there's like a massive opportunity for not just architects but people within construction who like technology to move into this kind of specialist kind of area. Is because um, in some respects, it's becoming like the next big thing. I'm not going to quote like actual statistics, but McKinsey and and and, and all, all others are kind of uh, are saying that there's they predict by the end of this decade that there's going to be massive influxes in in smart building investment and it's going to be kind of the next big thing for investors to put money into and therefore the market moves so all the clients all all they all want to keep up with their, their rivals they all need experts in house they all need projects delivered to new specifications they need mm. all of these things Um, attached to certain buzzwords um, uh, and they want to try and achieve it and then they want accreditation. And there's all these kind of supporting things and there isn't actually anyone to do it. There isn't the skill within, certainly in the UK, to do all of that work. So Mm. I think there's a big opportunity for um, everyone to kind of move into that space. But, you know, at the same time, I've made it sound very corporate and not very fun as well Um,
3: no but you're right Uh, five corporate banks in america announced in their like you know yearly plans is you know approved facility management and that's where the digital twin comes in so well you said it i didn't want to say Ah.
0: it. well i tell you what right we've got a few people that are already having a few champagnes and stuff so elena in the audience says we're having a glass of wine so that's true. That is a live stream. So if you've got a question for anyone here in particular, uh, then you can, as long as it's not too rude, as long as it's or it's not anything too spicy that we can't say, other than that, we'll bring the question up on, sh- on screen. But what I was going to say, Michael, is that I've met like four people who c- claim to be the person that invented the hashtag Bim Beers. And um, I, you know what I mean? Everyone thinks they invented it. And I've had a BIM beer before, and that was at BIM Show Live in 2014. So I'm showing my age now as well. And that was that was quite a big event. But really, while you were talking about that, you're talking about property and all this stuff as well. So, Barrett, you're here, and you're a senior t- design manager. Now, when I worked in the last recruitment place where I worked, I was led one of the architecture teams. It was in a real estate company. And had a lot of architects come to me talking about wanting to go for multidisciplinaries, wanting to go to places such as where you work, you know, moving towards that area. So, tell me, how did you get the bug and think, do you know what, I'm going to pursue this and go into design management?
1: I, to be honest, I didn't really target it like that. Ah, um, I think my entire career, I've kind of it's been a journey of understanding things that I don't really enjoy, opposed to realizing things that I do enjoy. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and so I've kind of
1: gone from job to job learning things. You and fell in it. And kind of falling into it. Yeah, blatantly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. I definitely fell into it. Um, and I think the more I've kind of been within the construction industry, the more I've realized that what I really want to do is get things built. Um, and one thing that really paralyzed me and frustrated me to no end was the endless feasibility studies you do as an architect. Oh, really? Some people
0: love those, huh? You know, it's, that's it's one just, of the things, it, isn't
1: it? It's a well, bugbear for me because it's, it's, mm. it's just speculative design mm.
0: yeah.
1: and, you're, and, you're, and you're rehashing speculative design over and over and over again with yeah. no real purpose because if the goal <gasps> is to obtain planning, then it's, you can do it much simpler than yeah. doing a very detailed planning
0: application
3: amazing already offended so many people <laughs> no, <laughs> you know,
0: every well, front opinion, end architect so, and, is just <laughs> frantically typing here <laughs> so I I, I I think
1: it was just then the journey of like right so the industry is massive and there's so much to do where can I and mm. almost like yourself Stephen like you know where can mm. I utilize my skills better yeah. and I think um, the allure what well, the lure of money to be honest yeah I'm yeah, still so out yeah. lately I've I mean, my when we spoke yesterday actually, yeah, you said it as well. I've got a mortgage, I've got I've got a little kid. Like I need to pay bills. Yeah. It's a reality, right? Um, yeah. I, I can't I, I can't chase the dream of being a, a Starkitex my whole mm. life and designing Zaha D desk or Fosteresque or whatever have you. And I I I don't I don't um I don't mean to diss that, but, you know, there's a reality to my situation that I just needed to address. And this this kind of, I'm, I still feel like I'm really lucky. I get to wake up every morning, do a job that I love to do, be involved in an industry that I love to be involved in, and get paid for it, which is great. And, and, and I don't think a lot of people can say that yeah, but nationally. And so I feel really grateful for that A opposed yeah. to, be bitter or resentful you know um it also allows me you know doing what i do i get to engage with people like yourself michael people like julia you know i get to engage with all the other things i love to do whether it be bim whether it be the artistic design aspect of it i get to touch upon all those things yes i don't necessarily get to control those as much as i maybe want to but that's okay at least i can interface with those people and have those conversations and um, arguably, on larger schemes, I get to work with the client more directly than an architect maybe would, and influence nice. that design and the strategic positioning of a project yeah. more. So, I, I get I get I get my little kicks out of it. Um, I think you're right. You know, you can never stop being an architect, and I don't think I don't think anyone should. I think being an architect brings so many skills to it, but mm. I think people should exploit those skills more, and they should maybe be less afraid to step away from a drawing board and more into other fields within the industry.
0: Mm, Well said. I am... I just noticed while we talk. If you saw my light going, it's because I didn't <laughs> plug the power plugs in. So at some point it will go dark, but I don't care. We'll, we're just going to go anyways. A very good point there, and, and and I agree with you. And is it interesting that sometimes, especially, I don't know whether it's like the way we were all brought up, but I don't know about you. But my parents have been like, you can't ask people about money, you can't talk about money, and and, and then there's almost like this, like oh gosh, you, talking about money is improper. But I actually think it's part of being a professional, and actually, it's okay to talk about higher salaries about money. And yeah we should, should do money. and um, actually what was the first not, thing we, that
1: we don't we don't work as a charity right like no, yeah. no one's running a charity here <laughs> of course you talk about money and, and, and that shaming of salary shaming malarkey yeah no
0: yeah, you, you're not a real you're not a real architect if you're in it for the money. Well, it's like, well, we have got an energy crisis coming up. Do you know what I mean? And I'm I, I'm I've, I'm cost me fifty quid on this podcast just now for the background, but that's my choice. But I need the money, right? So, but it's about it, it. It's important, isn't it? It's like we want job satisfaction, but at the same time, there are constraints in 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 reality as well. I was um, what I was gonna say. Uh, and just to kind of bring it around before we open this up because georgie i've got a confession and and you're probably going to think it's a good thing the way i went because actually um when i was thinking of leaving architecture one of my bestie mates um where i used to work at epr was the bim coordinator and he was this cool australian guy very very good at his jobs and stuff and i went with him for lunch (laughs) and i was like mate i don't think i can do this and he's like you're good at talking you should look into sales or something or he's but I was like, oh, but maybe I should do a BIM coordinator, because that's like a, an escape for me as a part two. And he was like, no, mate, I don't think you should do BIM. It will, it, you're mm-hmm. not the right person for it, because attention to detail is not my thing. But Georgia, I'm yeah. sure you have a, I'm sure you have more attention to detail than me. I would love to know how you became an awesome BIM manager doing all the great stuff that you're doing.
4: I mean, I had a very interesting journey, to be fair. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be in architecture. Uh, I moved here in the UK when I was, I think, 17 and I turned 18 here. So I was like, I need to, I mean, I had to learn the language, but I knew I was going to study architecture at some point. But Mm -hmm. when I I knew I didn't like to design per se, but I wanted to get a degree. But uh, out of all the different courses, I found... Uh, a course that was interior architecture that wasn't necessarily looking at you know facade and more like technical but was more like about the experience i mean it was an interesting um, degree um and then i started in a practice as an architectural designer which i had spent like four years there. but straight away from my first month in there i've been thrown thrown into this BIM project, they were like, okay. So automatically, I became the BIM coordinator, and at the time, I had no idea what BIM meant, and did even know to use Revit per se. But there was one BIM manager in this company. I always thought what she was doing was great. I was like, that's actually really interesting. So after a thing like two years of like trying to, I would you know, in architecture, we do design over and over again, same design options, and decisions are never like easy. And I, I really didn't like that. I like, I like, I don't like to design per se. I like to make sure things work. So I get the information there. This can be built. So that was my thinking. So I did trying to start like looking into change the path. I I knew I didn't want to stay. I didn't want to progress into like a master in architecture and design. So I've done a master in construction project management, focusing on BIM which gave me more insight on the standards and so on. And in the meantime, I managed to change the actual role from an architectural designer to a BIM coordinator within the company. And it was great. I've learned so much, progressed more, more into ways BIM and modeling to information management. It was the whole pack. And I love the idea of like managed, like coordinating information and so on. That was actually really exciting, which then led me to to Maze because I always wanted to work for a company like, you know, with everyone has so much experience you can learn from others because in my previous company, that was basically the only one doing BIM. So I wasn't really learning much and I knew I had so much to learn. But that was basically it. I knew from my side, um, after working three, four years on the same building over and over again, I was like, I don't think I can do this forever. I was like, I want something that actually makes, I mean, uh, everyone, I mean, I do respect architects besides crazy hours and so on, but I knew that that wasn't my call. And then, yeah, from master's to now, I'm just like barred, and I'm actually really enjoying what I'm doing, what I'm doing it. And I mean, like, I keep learning every day. Mm. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I think,
3: Steven, it's perfect time to talk about the culture in architectural firms. As we establish now, everyone worked at some point in their lives in architectural yeah. practice. How was that, guys? Uh, did you ever work over time?
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who didn't? We knew we, it was uh, coming. <laughs> you know, like that's 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 the reality of it. I mean, I think I think we all found our own kind of like cadence. Like what, the last kind of architectural role I did, I I, I was living in zone one, um, but I was still getting to the office at like half seven. Because, <laughs> like um, it was it was it was it was almost like a mind trick I was playing on everyone else. Like you know, putting putting like the overtime before anyone else has arrived. So that you've just done more than everyone by six o'clock and then you're like, you can just not go home, but just kind of muck about really and kind of mm-hmm. make it look like it was really easy. And I think there's there's a lot of this kind of, that's a, a kind of an element of that's associated to everyone knows they're going to do over time. So then you try and make everybody feel like you're less bothered about it than everybody else as well, which is a kind of a weird Thing I don't know that other professions have done. Yeah,
3: so if it's under mm. pressure, you cannot live on time, right? Oh, yeah. You yeah. feel yeah. bad because everyone else is still staying. Um,
1: See, so, so this is this is something that's really puzzled me about architecture, right? Uh, through the academic journey, that whatever through whatever stages you've been, whether it be part one, part two, part three, whatever, I think it's relevant. Uh, most people who've done part one probably get this point, you know. When you're studying, I think, particularly outside of London, um, it's a very family-esque feel, I think, studying architecture. Everyone's very very supportive. Everyone's there for you because everyone's on this journey. You go into practice and it becomes like this narcissistic, conservative (laughs) manifesto, which is like totally weird because architects are generally very liberal and leftish. And then it, it swings all the other way. And I've never really got that. Um, and actually, one of the things that it, it's, it's just, it's so imbued within the culture. And I think that's what's fundamentally wrong with it. Universities shouldn't be encouraging people to work stupid hours. Actually, discipline and efficiency should be taught. Mm. And, and And I think without that, then people automatically expect, oh, I've done this for five years. I've worked 24 seven for five years to get my undergrad and my postgrad. And well, yeah. that's what I need to do in profession. And that's that's not what you should do in
2: profession. I, th- I think on the university ticket, it's a bit of an odd one because um, i I'm very much married up to not being paid enough money as a, as a junior architect. I did a side gig tutoring. I basically didn't take it. I didn't have any holiday because I couldn't afford it anyway. So I used my <laughs> holiday allowance to teach as, at university sure. as, a, as, a, as a tutor. And... Kind of looking at it from the other side as an external tutor who wasn't in charge of the way things were run. um, A lot of the schools were like, we have been given an edict from high above that we have to bring in as many students as possible and monetize. And if it's such an intensive, resource hungry course, you know, architecture versus business studies. the the people leaving have lower salaries so they pay off their loans slower blah 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 they're less likely to do postgrads um they are and so they make their money from dropouts which sounds terrible basically oh really but, oh yeah That's big time so you it's it's nail the students basically from that it's it's it's, it's literally cannon fodder from that point on because they're already in, they're already signed on get them in mer, mer, you know roast them for a month and you've already got like you know four grand in the bank and you know it it sounds it sounds um that's why i ended up quitting because i just got i just got so fed up with with this i I think there's a cultural
1: shift i mean so i'm i'm starting to work with the university of westminster as a mentor for part three candidates starting the part three um but there is definitely you know within the academic stuff there you know i don't want to I don't want a broad brush and say all universities are evil, you know, and they're, they're doing the wrong thing. There's definitely a, a message of wanting to uh, include, increase collaboration, get people to work together, work collaboratively, especially going into the profession, right? Mm. Well, yeah, um,
2: totally. I mean, I, and actually, I and yeah, it is Wilfred? It
1: is Wilfred
2: right? So Wilfred was my part three mentor. Um, I might. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute legend, that guy. Um, he is. He, he is. Never quite sh- sure where he's looking, and if you've met me, you know what I mean that. People watching this. Wilfried is is uh, a brilliant man, and Shit. um uh, so I actually failed my the first time I took part three. I was like ultra, you know, like it's all about just churning and doing the bare minimum, and I actually failed the first time I took it. Um And mm-hmm. then Wilfried became my mentor, and he was like. You got this all wrong. Like you, you have no idea what you're doing, and really kind of set me straight, and actually kind of put me on a course to stop being an architect. But you know, um, I think. But he, you know, he was. There's very few people who actually say it like it is within architecture. I think that's kind of mm. a real kind of takeaway. It's all like either let's do academia, and it's like it's brilliant, and you'll be the greatest designer the world has ever known, and you'll you'll have inf- you'll have infinite rich friends with lots of money to spend on your ideas. Mm. or you'll have a successful business that just people will turn up and give you lots of work and you won't have to do massive hours and become a sociopath in order to to succeed. And he, he was, he was one, he was a very unique voice that kind of actually said, I've run my own practice. I, I think probably one of his funniest stories was he said, never, never, never make um, family your own client. He did, he refitted his house and then almost immediately got a divorce um, I can because believe that. Of yeah, that. Uh, and he he had lots of those kind of anecdotes that mm-hmm. would just made it. It made actually working in, as a career within architecture quite an interesting thing. Like quite a storied man. Um, it made you interested in kind of getting involved again. I'm glad he's still doing it. I, I didn't realise he was still doing it. He, yeah, I, I think he's leading the, um, or co-leading the course
1: of. Uh, yeah at Westminster but yeah no he is and and I I think I think people like Wilfred is is what academia is missing to be honest like the more the more people who say as it is and it's not it's not to scare people off being an architect like I think actually it does the opposite it will either drive you to be that architect even more but with your eyes open yeah and actually demanding and knowing your own worth
0: I think Mm. I think that's
1: what it gives
0: Hmm. While we're well, speaking about this, I was thinking: Was anyone actually surprised when the Bartlett report came out? Here, you know, that was a big hoo ha, open yeah. secret. I mean, I, I was when I read it. I was like, yeah, I've been told this by a lot of people that have gone to the Bartlett, but. Back to what you were both saying, Barrett and, and Michael. That's kind of the precedent of some architectural universities, and that's the ethos of you know long hours, enduring hardships. And then, is it like that in the industry? Some places. I'm always surprised. I and mean, I know Julia, you want to talk about average salaries in the bit, and we will go on to that. And I have a lot of anecdotal um, yeah. salaries, and you could tell me if they feel right or not. Well, as a
3: recruiter, I'm sure you have. Um, Yeah, I
0: I kind of got a good gist, right? And they're basically not high enough to pay the energy bill next January, in essence. However, isn't it mad, though, that basically (laughs) when you graduate from uni, you get plonked into an architectural practice and... You don't really know the culture of the architecture practice properly till you get there. Then I always find it interesting that when you're a part one, especially, you get plonked onto whatever role is on a team, which is a sector, which then defines your earlier career in the sector. What software you use can then hinder You know yeah. your experience yeah. and getting another job, especially like if you're on a Vectorworks project, then hey, good luck trying to get on um, Yulia's team on, on on a BIM level two project at the start, right? So you kind of like get plonked down in industry, and you're and I, I don't know about you guys, but at the time I felt like I should be grateful. I was lucky to get this job because you have this weird yeah. again architecture thing going on. And when I got yeah. a job, I was like, oh, I've got a job. I'm one of the lucky few. I, so, I mean, what's, unpacking all that, does that sound crazy or can anyone relate to that scenario early in your career?
2: Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like dumb luck that, you know, the, the practice I worked in decided that they were going to teach me Revit and, and then I'm suddenly like just magically ahead of half of the industry in terms of knowing mm. the tool that everyone mm-hmm. else needs. No, that, well,
3: yeah, you see, that's the problem. Universities should set you ahead of the industry, not the it's company. Though, right? because
2: it's, 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 it's you you can teach, if you teach every single tool and every eventuality, what are you going to do? You're just going to have a, a, a bunch of people that are not very good at anything in particular. And that's, that's real yeah spot.
3: well you know
2: you don't that's found. again
3: that's but that's how universities compete as well between each other so I mean, yeah. I, I,
2: I, a question
1: to you guys actually uh, sorry to kind of wait right. do you think studying architecture taught you how to be an architect
2: oh no Ooh. no 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 i'm no. not
3: a it you. <laughs> like, well, yeah.
1: even even, even constru- uh, julia julia it's, it's a little bit of an unfair question to you but yeah. Yeah, I, I think from my experience, anyway.
3: I think yes, definitely yes. From the first day, sure. I was just shown where is my computer and my desk is. That's that's all. That's all I needed. Sure. So I'm quite lucky that I picked that uh, hmm. specifically yeah. that university, and amazing that they taught me Revit at like I mean ten years ago, right? Uh, when I came there, I was like, oh, I know AutoCAD and SketchUp. <laughs> they looked at me like girl forget about it <laughs> and that was 10 years ago guys so it's,
2: it's it's still there's still a degree of luck in this i mean like, i mean the mm. university i went to taught taught archicad and everyone just kind of rather snotty snotty nosed kind of laughed at the guy teaching it um mm. uh, his name is david nicholson cole and he's, he's quite <laughs> infamous in the industry as well actually um but um he 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 was he was absolutely passionate about it. Um, you know, BIM like 25 years ago, and people were kind of just laughing at him, like you you're a nutcase, this has got nothing to do with architecture. And mm-hmm. and you know, you can be so far ahead of the curve that you are wildly out of fashion that you're just deemed as just a nutcase. And I think there's there's that that problem as well, in that sometimes it goes back to your point, Barrett, about like being this kind of weird conservative. Like in, in this desire to be so so innovative and so so driving that you actually end up with like quite a lot of sheep that people are kind of each other and like trying to play as safe as possible, um, really really polishing kind of not anything in particular and anything outside of that immediate kind of idea of what that should be is is thrown out and deemed as ludicrous. Um, as a side story, what uh, when I started going down the kind of BIM route. I went out for a, uh, a meal with some people that were still following the design route. Um, and the um they probably one of the ugliest things about architecture is that when people are really kind of almost evangelistic about going working for design companies, if you do anything else, if you yes. even you meet them for a meal or something, they're actually really rude to you. Like they're actually really. Rude. Yeah. What are you thinking? Are you going crazy? Like, why would you give it up? Why, why would you waste your all of your training on like a job that pays twice? You idiot! Like, uh, I like to pay for my meal. Would you like me to pay for yours? Because you look like you know is what I said to them, um, and, and that, that's it's kind of. That's, Odd cliquiness that exists within it's like zero sum <laughs> fallacy of, of architecture.
0: But, you know, touching upon that before we open up again, do you think, though, that there's like that old age looking of architecture? Like, I always use the analogy of it, reminds me of sometimes like Gordon Ramsay, where it's like, to be the best, you must suffer. And I think in architecture, it's <laughs> like, you know, you're going to get a frying pan thrown at you. And we know Gordon <laughs> Ramsay definitely done that right. But I felt like there was an element of like that. A real yeah. architect suffers. And you, you know, suffer financially, suffer hours and all this to get the building up and that i think that romantic notion has been shifted especially the more and more further we go i mean it's 2022 Mm. and university rates are high rent is high electricity is high i don't know how much suffering you can go for this poetic vision of of what an architect is i mean does anyone feel like that here i mean i mean Giorgio, you were pretty like passionate
4: about earlier do you feel um, I feel like suffering it should be part of it the early stage, just because you're learning. I need Where... to be. I need to be fair because I've personally never been against. I've never been against doing overtime, especially when I want to take yeah. my time to do things correctly, right? I want to make sure everything is done correctly. Although it's gonna be, it's, it's a problem when it becomes like constant thing. When you feel sorry to leave late, but I feel like the stress I had on my first couple of years of work. Was because I was still learning, and but later on, I've mastered some tasks that did allow me to live like on time and just be less stressed. But yeah, I feel like the suffering should be. I mean, I don't know if suffering is the correct definition, but I feel like that is probably like. But uh, how about
3: your, you know, work-life balance? I don't think by saying late every day makes you more efficient or productive, right? Your productivity falls, right? So I
4: feel like from my experience i was blessed i mean yes i was doing overtime but so was everyone else so it was always everyone was always in the office there was always very like a nice atmosphere um Mm. and it wasn't like constant it was always like like, you know convenient time like everywhere every time in summer you're staying late so you couldn't really enjoy much but i it it was stressful, but it made it easier by knowing that everyone, like my team, was with me. There was so much support. But again, it didn't make it right. I I absolutely hated like the idea that I had to stay at work until midnight almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, so I had to find an escape. Tired, As they say,
3: enough. at work you're replaceable, at home you're not, right? So,
4: oh, Julia's <laughs> yeah. like
0: boss lady here right now is that everyone's no, it's, everyone's it's replaceable.
5: I'm just thinking
0: that's the mentality <laughs> that plagues the
1: industry, right, isn't it? That, that, that is fundamentally yeah. w- within the construction yeah. industry, not just architecture, I think within the industry, that's what plagues it is that everyone's everyone made to felt, feel like or feels yeah. like a bloody number. And I, they have
3: to stay late. Yeah. So why is that? Why is it in architecture we feel pressured to stay late? Why our, uh, you know, when we sign up for a job, we don't really account into, okay, how long is it actually going to take us to design this thing? Um, do you guys quite 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 good from? A, I, I,
1: I, I think I've got a controversial opinion on this.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. it's
1: it's mildly controversial but i think it comes to a root of where the architectural industry started from so studying architecture okay me started studying architecture in the early 2000s um well relatively early 2000s you know the demographic of people who study architecture was pretty consistent being middle class white fairly affluent or their parents were fairly affluent, right? And people with a similar background like me, it was pretty marginal. And I think that in turn leads to the issues you have in practice because you don't have the financial, you don't need that financial independence necessarily to exist within the real world. And actually Mm. you, you you can exist being a professional suffering artist I got suffering
3: artist. There we go. Well, opposed to you just
1: a suffering <laughs> artist. You're, you're a suffering artist with a, with a credential, maybe. with a big I, safety net. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I
1: don't mean that. I don't, I don't mean to... Um, okay, no, not, I, 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 I think you're
2: right. I think, I think there comes a kind of point, a, a, a realisation point, that unless you've got connections or you're very good at making those connections yeah. um, or you went to the right school um, uh, you're not going to have your own your own business that's going to be largely successful um, in architecture because most, I mean, statistically, the vast majority of architecture firms are sole practitioners or very small and they exist upon um, doing houses and and small projects um, for people who will only ever do one architecture project in their entire life. So who are you going to go with? So I'm rando, or someone that you've known your entire life to work on a project for you. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the way it works. So it's, it, it's, it's only that kind of kind of very small percentage of kind of professional business level architecture, you know, firms above 50 people that have to go out there and operate like a real business and go and generate work in competition environment. And the thing is, is that they, they hoover up all the cheap resource of people who don't have those connections. I, I, I recollect the last financial crash, and I imagine we were all kind of working there about that kind of time. There was a huge influx of people that came to London from Spain and Italy in particular. They would take anything because they were working as nannies and, and like working in Costa. And it was like they would rather use their degree for any money um, yeah. than, than do that. So companies naturally took advantage of that. Um, and that meant that anyone graduating was moving into a, a really, really um, overloaded environment with people getting paid joke salaries. And
3: Yeah. Steven, do you remember that time? Can you pull up some like numbers? Yeah. What was the well, average?
2: I, I
0: can well again, this is not gonna be your, where you want to be happy with this as the for a BIM digital lead that you are. so I don't have any facts. But I do. I was there firsthand when Michael said, I was a part of one looking for a job in the yeah. 2009 recession. And I can tell you factually that a small architecture practice, which is doing well for design now, I interviewed with the two directors and one of the directors, I'll keep it anonymous, but I'll tell you the truth. He said to me, he was like, so if we offer you a position, um, how would you feel about it being... Um, an internship where it would be unpaid. And I look, and I was like, I can't live on that. And the other yeah. director kind of was like, whoa, you're being a little bit cheeky to the other director, but they were setting up their business and he was testing to see if I would work unpaid, which is yeah. exactly what Michael said. And I couldn't do it. And is it felt <laughs> It, well, I I don't, for my well face, now bro. there's more scrutiny on it, but yeah. unpaid internships yeah. were around. And now yeah. with like Game of Thrones, we got the shame bell, shame, shame, shame. Only starting now though, only the conference is starting now, but that happened. And then I remember I had two job offers and one was for 20,000 and the other one was for 13. And I remember Uh-oh. when the 13 in London, it was just like, I mean, it was difficult then Imagine now it would just be insanity. And of course I went for the 20,000 pound job, but there was a point there maybe like what Michael was alluding to of imagine I was like, right, I'm not getting any job offers. What do I do? Do I work unpaid and work part-time in like Waitrose or Tesco's or whatever just to get in the door, which is exactly what uh, as well, Mike, you talked about when you've got this amazing overseas talent who are qualified, some people come here, they can't even get a job. You know so it, it kind of has this yeah. weird 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 area
2: demand and there was there was there was a lot of baseline people that could do you know mm. um speculative design and actually reality was there was very little demand the clients weren't asking yeah. for work you were doing lots of um loss leader work to try and get them interested there were very few actual proper paying jobs out there or very late paying things i mean mm. i in the recession the, the, that that particular one i found myself working in china for six months um which was an experience um because i couldn't speak a word of chinese but like mm. you, and a lot of people did that just just to try and keep getting some involvement in the industry and not not just coming straight out of five years of studying and and just canning it immediately um but you know you come out of it and you 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 take stock and as the industry comes back again you say right okay what we're going to do now and then a lot of businesses were like well we're just paying off massive loans we took out we can't afford to pay you and it it, it was it it was, it was it was it was kind of a lot of friends kind of then slowly just started to quit actually and mm-hmm. i've got a friend is tuning in from Sri Lanka believe it or not um hey and, uh, and he's um, he he trained same year as me at same university, and now he basically just does Revit technician work um, a couple hours a day, and then surfs the rest of the day. So he's got oh, he's got the balance just right. Like he's getting enough <laughs> kind of money to go surfing, and and uses those skills. So like I'm quite envious of him actually. Mm. Um, but you know, I think there's so many other people of incredibly talented are gone. You know, they, once you mm. make the decision to leave, you never come back, do you? It's it's it's, it's that's it i agree mm, yeah I,
3: that's true you keep saying to us i can always come back but hmm. now nah, you, Real you, you yeah
1: you you won't so, compromise
0: isn't it it's too much yeah. of a compromise to get back mm, yeah i am um, while we were talking we alluded talked a little bit about overtime we talked about this stuff and there was a question that came in from nicholas on linkedin who said is there less overtime in design management and project management and or BIM is overtime paid while working on the contractor side. Now, this kind Green. of is hey. where I should have gone earlier. And I had these all typed up, Michael, and I messed it up by not bringing them up. Is the grass always greener? I mean, this is a very good question saying basically like, look, moving into BIM management or something else, a design management, are the hours left or are they paid overtime? So we don't need to talk about specific numbers, but in general, I'm going to quickly tell everyone about me. So I w- didn't enjoy working long hours in architecture. I hated doing it. And that ironically at the time, I would think any overtime, I didn't want to do it. I'd actively avoid it. Now I set up my own business. So even in recruitment, when I started getting into it, it was getting into my own business. I would do those hours naturally. So, you know, as it's a contradiction myself Mm. to how i feel about that and that's why i don't recommend people set up their own businesses unless they're insane which i fall in that category and so i've done my own business
3: well from working at architectural practice i can say the my team the beam team will be leaving you know five sharp Mm -hmm. and that's it Like, we can stay later, once in the blue moon, if architects, please, please, we need two issue models, please wait (laughs) until I finish it. And you're like, okay, wait. And you wait just because they are still working, finishing something. So, but other than that, no, uh, you don't have to. Like, why would you? So, yeah, BIM team in architecture practices was more of like this elite team. No one really understands what they're doing, but this is like this... (laughs) elite people that live on time <laughs> don't work over time once i got asked in the lift so what do you actually do but like just yeah another architect i'm like yeah i'm just yeah just here hanging around with you guys nothing Rich. Not you're much. you're helping
0: out yeah so is it is it like that then in in terms of so georgia i know this is a bit of a rig question because like you you kind of tripped up when we when we met before yeah, uh, I think uh, Julia dubbed you in that you've been working overtime. So is uh, it? Does, it's not just that an architectural thing.
4: Before, no, that was before joining Maze. Before I mean, I mean the difference between the uh, Julia's archi- architectural BIM team. I was when I transitioned to BIM coordinator. Mm. I was still working crazy hours because I had to like. I felt I had to stay with the team until like the mm. end, and I wasn't right. feeling guilty. I had to leave early because I, did, I didn't have a day, any issues. I had to be there, Um, so I had literally no life. I was literally I was with the team, so it didn't matter if you were a BIM or architect, mm. you were still doing the same overtime. Whether yeah, when but it's because of
3: them, right? So because, because, you just I mean exactly,
4: yeah. yeah. So but so overall, yeah.
0: See, but when bloody I architects, you know. It was all. You you are going in with the daggers, aren't you? <laughs> you are you are you are really going. So basically, in the BIM team, you don't do any overtime, and if you do, it's the architect's fault. So in design, management, I feel
4: like it's it's a matter of being organized and know how to manage your plan. Because when I moved to Maze, for instance, like everything completely changed. There's no like just to answer that question. From my experience like the difference on living on time and work-life balance was like completely like different mm-hmm. and i wouldn't will, I will go back to before so yes it's all about about knowing how to manage your time your team and the workload because i feel like from an architectural point of view everything is loaded last minute and people have to stay over time for like a last minute deadline or so on so that mm-hmm. was that was my main experience on staying late Fair enough. Um, does
0: anyone? Um, so, Michael or Barrett, do you have any? Is it? Is, I know because you've gone into not so bim centric per se. Have you? Is it akin to architecture of the hours, or is there overtime sometimes
2: in your experience? I think. I think yeah, I mean it's it's an it's an interesting one because I think um, I if I'm a, if I'm allowed to kind of slightly pivot the question and kind of say that. please. I, um, Because of the adoption of hybrid working and working from home a lot now, and having a young family, I there might be an outward perception that I work overtime because I'm now working a lot more um, in kind of non-core hour time in order to get work done um, because I might need you know some quiet time to kind of focus on doing something, and that's. After my after my kids going to sleep, um, so that so a client might be logging in and looking at uh, on a shared database, and they're like, "Wow, you you're working until midnight on that? Uh, are, you, are you sure you're okay?" And it's actually because I started at like eight pm. It's just that's that's the way things have worked out. So in some respects, technology is enabling us to kind of start on a slippery slope to kind of be quite poor with time management um, mm. and, and, you, and it starts to become, oh, okay, actually – you know, I've got this in my head now. I could, I could smash out a 16 hour. Yeah, day. but
3: that's a slippery slope, right? When you're working yeah. from home, like one thing when we used to work in the office and I mean, it was so daunting to stay in the office past like five and you, yeah, yeah you just want see to have you food, food do you I home, don't know, <laughs> Sit right. that's sofa. That's right. but now when we're working from home, your work is here at home. So you tempted to work that, you know, a little bit extra every day. Because I mean I'm here anyway. Like I'm just gonna you know that hour. Um, yeah, you have that self-discipline to stop. Um, yeah, and it,
2: it's it, but it's it's I think there's there's that element of it that it means that there's I think there's always going to be overtime, which whichever way you kind of end up splitting it up, um, mm. I think. But equally because and Barrett's in the same um, situation as I am. I physically don't have as much time to do insane overtime anymore. I just, yeah, there, yeah. there are no more hours in the day. Um, so I have to just turn my computer off and change a nappy or whatever. And and that's kind of brought upon me. Um, so it's, it's not to do with maybe the company culture um, changing or the corporate culture. It's just my own life situation, meaning that I've got like a red line now that whereas I was a younger as an architect, I just lived from my job, and and therefore I was willing to do all these hours because there was nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I I, I, think, I think the, the big difference is
1: uh, the journey I've been on. Like it made me appreciate that when you're working and and you know I, I have to have to make that distinction when you're working early doors as an architect. So as a part one, a part two, maybe a early stage part three, but within design practices. Um, you don't. The workflows basically mean you don't have total control of all the all the end results, mm. and you're participating in a collaborative endeavor to get everything together, right? Um, but by doing so, the task list is enormous, mm. and you're, there's always something more to do. There's always something you can help out on. There's always a betterment that can be made, right? And that's almost setting yourself up to fail. So similarly to you, Stephen, you know, like I I got to a point in my career um, and I won't name names. So the thing that there was a turning point for me, really, I got made redundant from architectural practice mm. that I basically I, for a period of something like three months, I was working from seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, like every single day, giving it everything. And, do you know, what, like, I I don't I don't want to um, besiege it because. Actually, the growth, the growth I had within that period was enormous, mm. I think. Yeah. But when I got made redundant, it was, like, the worst thing in the world. And Yeah, ego blow, isn't he? It, it? It was my brother that turned around and said to me, he's like, why on earth did you do that? Like, when mm. you have your own business, okay, work 24 hours a day, fine. But you work for yourself, and you're investing it in yourself. Why mm. on earth are you doing it for someone else? And actually, that was a real turning point. And I actually... Mm. I think what should be encouraged more is task management skills. It's about working efficiently. And actually, if if the first practice we all worked at taught us how to work efficiently to close out a task, I think we arguably, we'd all maybe even still be within architectures right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll Yeah. Okay. And but no one teaches you that. No, no, no one's sitting there being like. And actually, I think the more you climb the corporate ladder, as it were, and progress with your career, actually, you have to be efficient with your tasks. Yeah, you have to. You have to set hard deadlines because actually, you've either got a dear partner at home, you've got family, you've got children, you've got other things that just mean you can't work outside. I think you do do work overtime. It's just a different type of overtime that's on your. It's on your terms and not someone else's necessarily.
0: Hmm, well said. I um, I uh I I I think you're right in in short, and um, I've been made redundant too. And it is incredibly character building. It, to me, it was a massive ego part because you think like it's yeah. like it's like it's like how you think <laughs> it's never going to happen to me, and then you get made redundant, and then actually. You know, you pick yourself up and you learn a lot, and um, yeah. I think I think it's a good experience because you, you I, like you, I couldn't believe it happened, and now you almost self protect yourself from that situation, or if it does happen, you're like, okay, I understand it's not so personal as I as I once thought. So um, I completely agree with you. Because well, I'm conscious. I mean, I can hang around, but I'm I'm conscious. We've all got right. our lives and family, as you as you said. So what I was going to do, and and Yulia, we can do another one of these at another time as well. So we can <laughs> continue the conversation because I know we there's a lot more to unpack. But we've talked about in particular the joys of moving into something special. There's going into a career which isn't kind of um, the 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 perception of what of a typical architect a traditional architect a front-end architect a technical delivery architect however is the grass always greener you know i've known a lot of people i've gone into design management and they go there and they get paid more money and they go do you know what i missed the design that does happen right it's not for everyone and then i also you know when you go into bim you've got to be geared for that scenario you know you've got to be that person that can be that digital bim expert or yeah it's not for everyone
3: yeah definitely that's for everyone
0: yeah so maybe we can go around first and i'll share my first grass is always greener because i left architecture specifically for more um i just thought you know i wasn't interested in technical details i wasn't interested in all that stuff and Mm. now running my own business i've got to pay attention to the small details because I will lose money and there is no one else to blame but me. So ironically, I have to get out the magnifying glass. And so I presented myself a situation where I have to do it, but I enjoy it. And and after you, you do it, I like it. However, grass is always greener. No, I work longer hours than I did in architecture, even though that was one of the reasons I didn't want to do it. And I avoided doing technical drawings in architecture. And now running the business, I actually have to do that because I have to be accountable for my own business. But um, perhaps you can start off then, Barrett. What um, do you miss about architecture? Um, even though you can love what you're doing, is there one little bit that you miss? That I, I, I really do. I, I I do.
1: I do love obsessing over the detail. Mm. Um, I, mean, I miss. I miss it. I miss having that. Having. I think. Having... <laughs> Yeah, having the leisure and the flexibility to delve into that black hole and just surround yourself by it, um, because you just don't, I, you don't get that time. You don't you don't get time to make it perfect. Mm. And uh, yeah, I do miss that. I, I, yeah, I think I've got it. a bit of ACD on that. But do is the grass greener? Yes. There yeah. you go. Hundred
0: percent. I, I think... oh, well, I'll
1: never go back. Oh. <laughs>
0: Okay. All right. So no regrets, but you miss a few tidbits. Michael, what do you miss about, um, you know, the tra- doing that traditional architecture role?
2: I mean, to be honest with you, I kind of, I, I miss um, the social element of it. So, you know, on, on, on the one sense, we, we, we're kind of all kind of up in arms about saying, you know, we have to all grow up. And we have to kind of um, be, um, you know, adults and take responsibilities and work less hours because we've got family at home and all this kind of stuff. Part of the reason why, one of the reasons why certainly I really liked working long hours was actually you were surrounded with kind of like minds. People who were really interested in, really interesting people that had lots of kind of um other kind of side projects and things that they were kind of being creative about. And they were, you could really bounce ideas off them and you could really kind of, oh, have you gone to this, this new thing at the art gallery or something and you'd make time to really have kind of detailed conversations about something to do with the arts or something, which I know is not necessarily unique to architecture, but I know that actually that's not really something that I've experienced since, since that it's, 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 people are much more about we're here nine to five to do our jobs and that's what we're Mm -hmm. going to do. We don't find half an hour to have a really kind of detailed discussion about the, the latest Stanley Kubrick movie or something. It's, and that's really showing my age. Um, But the, it's, it's, it, that thing I, I think I will always miss, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, you, as I say, it's your, your job starts to become your life. They blur together. You start, they become your family. You spend all your time with them. You share all of your emotional ups and downs and everything else. And um, I think as you naturally start getting seniority in a company within an architecture firm, as I found, you, that starts to ebb away anyway and you start to less have those kinds of um strong relationships with the people that you work with and then it's then it's all of the kind of negatives of just doing a job and managing but none of the positives because you don't get paid very well so yeah like yeah it's certainly the grass is greener since i've left (laughs) Mm. fair enough Giorgio, what
0: did you miss anything in particular or is the grass always greener? Is it better now than before?
4: I mean, I totally agree with both Barrett and Michael. For me, the grass is very greener. Um, Mm. The only thing I will miss again is all, it's all about the people and the like the work environment, but I, in terms of job per se and then skills i don't not at all again i can't there was a mistake i was doing on staying in a company because i was feeling comfortable but i was really unhappy with the role per se and then i had to make the decision to like people you can always meet them elsewhere um but i had to focus on what i actually wanted to do so yeah like i don't really miss anything from that architectural lifestyle i had and yes my grass is greener Hey, oh God, I'm the only
0: one where the grass wasn't greener,
4: but I still like it.
0: The grass is kind of greener, but I'm saying cautiously, the grass is a lot of hard work. Ju- Julia, what do you think? Is the grass always greener, or is there anything you miss? Um, or what do you so, think? So,
3: yeah, because I'm not really a you know RBA architect here and UK, I think, how about I mean, listen to everything you guys said. How about we make architectural jobs you know fulfilling and paid well, so people don't have to move to you know consultancies and stuff like that to you mm-hmm. know to get that you know fulfillment from you know I'm getting paid where I'm actually worth, you know it's enough for me to live <laughs> and pay the energy bills. And also, how about we actually you know talk more about this over time? And make it not just so that the beam team could leave on time, but also the architects. Or, okay, if you really like to work over time, how about, you know, you paid for that? Or mm-hmm. that we plan projects, bearing in mind, okay, how much actually we're going to, you know, spend hours on this project to deliver it for this deadline. Um, I think that's what we really need to focus on. Like, being an architect, you know, I used to treat architects as an artist, right? Um, Just, you know, pay them well so they can, you know, enjoy their life and stay in architecture. Uh, And then, I know something needs to be changed here. So Mm -hmm. people don't have to make these choices. If they really like the design aspect, uh, let them do it. But then maybe we should really adopt um, and look at like other practices, uh, other countries where... Uh, satisfactory rate and productivity rates are greater than the UK. So, for example, in other countries, in some of the countries, it's illegal to work over time. And if you are working over time, you have to be compensated 25%, for example. Yeah. Or how about actually offering real time in lieu for people that worked and stayed late because mm-hmm. of the bad management, you know? That's yeah. really, mm-hmm. really going to help. So working in Denmark, I stayed a few times late because I really wanted to, t- to take that extra project that I was doing on my own. And like my land manager said, Okay, Julia, you worked overtime this week. How about you leave earlier on Friday? And like, bear in mind that's Denmark. They already leave around four or three on Fridays. So, you know, because working late and working overtime every day doesn't make you more efficient it doesn't deliver a greater design as per se as well. Like, you know, we're not more productive or, uh, you know, more bright if we work extra, extra hours every day. In fact, it's not. There are various studies showing that, you know, working, you you only efficient up to certain amount of hours per day. So, mm. you know,
0: well, See,
3: I, I, I've got,
1: I've got a different thought though, Julia, opposed to people Studying architecture, forcing themselves to stay within an industry that's not loving them, or mm. they feel they don't—they're not loved enough. I think actually, the industry needs to broaden even more. And actually, the, it goes back to what we were talking about right, right, at the beginning, where I think you know, studying such a broad spec, such a broad subject in the first place, you're, you're equipping yourself with so many skills um, that you don't necessarily realize you're equipping yourself with that actually people should explore different avenues, things like the metaverse, things. There's so many things that are going on now that can lend themselves to someone who studied architecture to being so success so successful. Because ultimately, by shallowing the pool of talent within architectural practices, employees will have no choice but to pay those people better because there'll be mm-hmm. far more competition for each job. And actually, by then spreading out that talent across many fields, um, people can still have those commonalities and share those interests, and actually just broaden the 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 field. All in all, and I think that's where things like the ARB and the well, not necessarily ARB, but maybe the RIBA could learn a thing or two in terms of inclusivity, in terms of broadening the envelope, in terms of who could be as a, a member or something like that. Right?
0: That mm-hmm. was true. It's yeah. a Mike, Michael supply and demand. I was going to say, well, if you want to get the R.A.B.A. to do something, Julia, you saw you so you've got to do is give him a nudge in a bit because the next um, <laughs> RAB elect is an actual uh, architectural professional who is working in practice, which doesn't own a large architectural practice, right? So that will. So one would hope changes in the air. Um, whether brutal reality will knock us all down a peg it will be interesting to see how how that unravels i was going to bring up a quick few of the comments now that we're kind of in the wind down chill out period the glasses of wine are getting empty and i know we'll all top up in a bit and all that jazz and and go off, but Vicerica says, you, uh, Julia is on point. There you go, you got a fan. Also going, Yay. what is Bill right there again? What's he doing, I don't know. Design management, he's a senior design manager, <laughs> but you can rewind and check it out at the start. <laughs> Yelena asked, is there any legal way to make money as an architect? That's not as a bin manager. Uh, maybe you've been watching Breaking Bad, you could cook meth, I suppose. Probably not advisable. I don't know. I mean, the content creation there are definitely loads of ways, and I know people do PJs, which is personal jobs on the site. So I think there's ways to make money. Does anyone have any quick, quick fire ways to make money? Rapid, rapid answers.
3: Move to Dubai.
0: Move to Dubai. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow, that's it. wide open. Just move. Yeah. What, what do you think, Michael? Drugs? Is there uh, a crack? I of- mean.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <Amazing. laughs>
2: No. I, mean, I don't really think that's really architecture so much no. uh, it, might, it might be you know changing people's perceptions but you know uh, i i think there's there's, there's kind of. Um, I actually watched your podcast at lunchtime. The um, doing, doing um, monetizing content cool? creation. That's probably a, a, probably a good, good avenue for a few people to get into. I mean, it's, it's. That's, that's probably one which I wish I, I had enough camera equipment to do. Um, the other one as well, which I was, I always say actually, and I, I was a bit kind of negative about it, but actually I do encourage people who are just starting on their careers. Phone up your old um, studio leaders and say, "Do you need to get? Do you need a guest um, support tutor or something?" Oh
5: uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Get if you know. Frank, frankly, with the cost of living crisis, no one's affording that holiday in the Seychelles anymore. So you got you got twenty five days of holiday, and you could probably put ten of them down doing some tutoring. And it's it's actually I I loved doing it. It was it you were challenged by people who were almost empty vessels, who certainly the first years as well, who had Mm. all this ambition and excitement about architecture and literally no clue whatsoever how to get there. Um, And they would come out with the craziest suggestions and you just think that's, some of these kids were brilliant, like amazing ideas and you were inspired. So extra money and actually kind of made you love, love architecture a bit more. So that's, that is a legal way. To do a mm. bit of money generation.
0: Brilliant, I think. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. There's never, there's never a way to cover everything. But you know what? This is kind of unscripted chats, so and I've actually really enjoyed it. It's Probably actually the favorite live stream I've that I've done in recent times. So on that now, I'm going to give a big <laughs> clap to everyone, especially in the evening now. Now the glasses are winding down the stuff. I think this would be a good time to kind of sign off. But just before we go, if anyone uh, wants to say where people can reach out to find you, if there's a message, if they see this video in the future or they have followed you today, how do they get in touch? Barrett, how do we find out how to become a senior design manager or any burning questions about your old tutors? <laughs> <laughs> so reach out on LinkedIn and oh, happy, happily, happy. I'll happily, happily, help out wherever I can. Brilliant. Mike, where do we find you, Mike?
2: Uh LinkedIn or possibly um in, in the bar at some um BIM conference.
0: Mm, Having a BIM yeah. beer.
2: Good yeah. good one.
0: I'll we'll see we'll I'll see you at London Build Expo and um we can drown our sorrows about the state of uh, the architecture industry. There we go. Giorgio, where do we find you? Yeah, likewise, LinkedIn will be the best place. Amazing. And Julia, where where do we find yourself?
3: LinkedIn, that's for sure, and the next BIM conference, but on that builds or what what's the other one? Bim Show Live? Any really. Um where's the closest car? I'm there,
0: yeah. You're knocking around for a bim beer as well. Fantastic. Well, I have really enjoyed this. I'm going to end the live stream in a second. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this video, then like it. Oh, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll end the live stream here. Thank you so much, everyone, and we will see you on the next time. Take
4: care. Bye-bye.
5: Thank you very much. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Bye.